Assalamu alaikum. May the peace that only God can give be upon you. Welcome to Radio Islam. This is your host, Tariq El Amin, and we are broadcasting on WCEB 1450 AM, and we're streaming at WCEB1450.com. Now, if you have not already done so, folks, make sure that you are connected to us on social media. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Radio Islam USA. That's at Radio Islam USA. Now, if you happen to miss the uh, AM broadcast or the live stream, you can always go to wherever you get your podcast. So that if that's Apple Podcasts, Google Play, SoundCloud, or TuneIn, you will find us at Radio Islam USA. So subscribe, rate, review, all that good stuff. Stay connected. All right, folks, uh, joining us today on the phone is Radio Islam culture contributor, uh, founding and managing editor of NBA Muslims, uh, anti-racism trainer with Muslim Arc, award-winning author. Uh, her book, My Way to You, uh, is a, a great read. That's right. And I'm going to keep going. Adjunct, uh, professor, literary critic, Layla Abdullah-Poulos. Assalamu alaikum. Well, now, what did I leave out? <laughs> oh, contributor for Hold Hijab. <laughs> see, see, that's going to be that's going to be the question every time I introduce you. What did I leave out? So, <laughs> um, yeah. contributor for Hold Hijab. Homeschooling mom. Yes. Homeschooling mom. Love doing that. <laughs> My baby. <laughs> Abdullah. Abdullah. So, um, I saw a post. Uh, that you shared on social media. And, we, and we're like, we have to talk about this, uh, especially in light of, uh, you know, we just witnessed a horrific attack uh, on our Muslim brothers and sisters, men, women, and children in New Zealand at the Al Noor Mosque and the Linwood Mosque uh, in Christchurch, New Zealand. 50 people, men and women and children uh, who lost their lives. And then you would think with that type of horrific uh you know, image, you know, in our heads, this collective grieving that folks would have a little more empathy, a little more common sense uh, in the public space. But you shared a post that it absolutely just blew that out of the water. Talk to us about what happened to you recently. Um, I think just days after the uh, the attack in Christchurch, New Zealand. It was actually the next day. Mm. Uh, sadly enough, my uh, husband is recovering from surgery and he had some complications from his surgery. And so we were, I was taking him into the emergency room at our uh, local hospital. And as we were passing by, you know, he's feeling a little weak and everything. Uh, a white male starts pumping his fists at us and shouting, chanting, USA, USA. Mm. I, um, this is a family-friendly broadcast, so I won't say what I said. <laughs> 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 because as, a, as an obvious Muslim woman, I, 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 I wear the hijab and I, I traverse through society that way. Him doing, someone doing something like that is not uncommon. It has happened to me before. And which is one of the reasons why I take certain precautions and also there's a certain level of frustration. So I will not say what I said. Mm -hmm. uh, my husband stopped and turned to the man and started talking to him. What do you mean by that? And he's in the man started threatening us. So 
It will turn into this ugly confrontation. Fortunately, you know, because as a black woman, Mm -hmm. you know, security came flooding out. And the first thing I thought was, like, I'm going to end up with my head on the ground in a second because police are coming, security is coming. But, no, they were they – were, they were very sensitive to it. Uh, I'm, I'm looking back. I'm, I'm not sure how we would respond if it wasn't for the fact that our nerves and our emotions were so very raw from the deaths in New Zealand. I mean, that, that hit the Muslim world so hard. Mm-hmm. And uh, it really stems from a lot of people kind of there's like this misconception that, you know, like this is kind of an anomaly. No, this is part and parcel with a lot of things about the race-based societies uh, across the world. And it always starts with this mindset of white supremacy. Mm-hmm. And it manifests different ways, okay? With this person, it manifested in a way of trying to assert ownership in this country and place a label of foreignness on us just by virtue of fact of assumptions of what we are by the way that we look okay so he did that in order to show a level of aggression mm-hmm. uh, in the whole and in in, in probably in the expe- expectation i can't say what was in his mind uh that we would back down okay because there is also this misconception that muslims are docile yeah and you know uh, we we play a role in that, but and so here you have these two foreign quote unquote Muslim people. So he, as an American, as a white American, can say what he wants. The thing is, he didn't run across to uh, immigrant Muslims or foreign Muslims or foreigners. Right. He ran across an African American and a Latino American, and that's what he got. So he, it, we ended up arguing with him. He ended up backing down and saying he was sorry. Uh, the, the campus police, uh, because it's a university hospital, was very understanding and even mentioned the fact that, you know, there was a massacre yesterday. What are you doing looking at him? And so he had to back down and back away and cower away right. instead of feeling as if he uh, – was able to to put that aggression and it's a shame that it happened because you know we are feeling this loss vulnerability okay and also we're going through our own personal situations but you can't cut a break they don't care they never they don't like us and they definitely don't care about our pain sorrow suffering or death Okay, which is the reason why it's so easy for people to turn the channel when you're looking at situations like bombing of cities or uh, uh, apartheid states. Let let me let me let me throw this. Let me throw this in. Um, These incidents. Right. We could go through uh, you can go through an entire day and pass thousands of people um, of different ethnicities, different faith traditions. Um, and you know, it would be that one person that you come across, like the individual that, that you and your husband, uh, had to deal with, you know, this, and, and I'll just call him a nut job. Um, 
having to deal with this. I want to give. I'm not giving him that pass. Well, you, I'm not giving him that pass, and I'm not doing that to people who actually deal with mental illness. You know White what? Supremacy that's has nothing to do with mental illness. That you, you're absolutely right, and that is probably um, too. Uh, I think disarming, right? To, uh, to 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 phrase it in that that fashion. Uh, but this guy who was acting from a premise and a foundation of hate um, yeah. and bigotry, and that is exactly what it was. But these types of experiences, right? Like I said, we can go through an entire day um, or entire week, going, you know, being around different people. But it's that one experience that's going to uh, that's going to stick with us. That's that's going to sit with us. Uh, do do you, do you feel like, as a Muslim woman who is who is visible? Um, mm-hmm. Do you feel like these people, when they step out and they they're making a claim to the public space, um, mm-hmm. even if it's you know, it's that one person out of out of a week, out of you know, God forbid, out of a day or whatever, do do you feel that there's a message that's being sent to others, um, even if they don't necessarily share those same uh, that that same bigotry or hatred? Uh, what's the message that that you feel is being sent to them, or or is there is there a message? Well, the behavior of this person, the acts of violence, all stem from an indoctrination into some very specific social messaging based on race. Our country, many countries around the world have at their underpinnings a white supremacist social uh, foundation, uh, which led to colonialism, Mm -hmm. chattel slavery. And so people, we're all indoctrinated into that messaging based on where we are in the spectrum of race, this this spectrum of race according to the supremacist structure. Mm -hmm. I don't want to talk, I'm not going to go into the, Whole, you know, a lot of Muslims like to say, well, Allah doesn't see color, except he mentions that he makes us different colors in the Quran. Right. Oh, Allah doesn't see countries, except he says that he made a, us different nations and tribes in the Quran as mm-hmm. part of his signs. So when we're looking at this structure, this racial, white supremacist racial structure, so that's very much contrived by man, okay? Mm-hmm. And so we're all indoctrinated into that because we don't have any choice but to be. It is the dominant structure that exists in not only this country, but countries across the world. And so that messaging feeds a lot of all the, everyone's behaviors. And so when you bring it from a personal level to a more interaction level, interaction, inter, interpersonal level, then you'll have certain behaviors by certain people. And those behaviors don't all, those aren't all the same either. You know, this man pumping his fists at us, okay, comes from the same white supremacist structure as someone calling the cops on white people, on black people barbecuing, okay? Mm. Or with an incident that just happened uh, this weekend, like you don't get a break, uh, uh, a black comedian, a black woman comedian, uh, degrading and deriding uh, Sikhs as they're boarding a plane. It's all a part of this messaging that we're all indoctrinated into. Uh, and even this individual, I refuse to say his name, who slaughtered 50 people. It's all 
part of this messaging that you receive. Um, this morning, uh, you know, because a black Muslim woman, you know, there's always going to be something whenever you look at social media. There's going to be something uh, that's going to be based on your religion. It's going to be based on your gender or based on your your race or something like that. And so there was a video of a uh, a black woman, two black women called the police because a white man pointed a shotgun at them. And they really? called the police. Yeah. Mm. And they called the police. And the one who got the shotgun pointed at her ended up being tackled to the ground and arrested because instead of looking at the aggressor, okay, the person with the gun, they decided to engage and not de-escalate with, with the black women who are obviously upset because they had a gun pointed at them. Right. And so they were asked questions like, well, why didn't you walk away when he called you a name and all of these things. And so the, the woman got more and more upset, right Fully so, mm -hmm. okay? And the cops decided to focus on her being upset and say that she was disorderly and arrest her. And, the, you know, in my opinion, okay, it's one of the things that, that, that looks like it's taken place is that it's easier to arrest a black body than a white body. All have that social messaging. And mm -hmm. so... It's easier for police to engage with and re-victimize a black victim than to confront the aggressor, and so she ended up being tackled to the ground. But you know, After you talked about <clears throat> you talked about um, not getting a break. You know, as a matter of fact, brought the the idea that um, that there's this relentless attack, which is not something that people who, who don't live this, um, can really mm -hmm. understand. But, and, and I think in not understanding that there is a tendency to see resistance to that attack, uh, to see mm -hmm. any type of, uh, violence that's the result of, or, uh, or intended, you know, as, as a manifestation of that, that attack, that hatred, uh, to see it as being the fault of the, the 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 victim, right? Because you see a person that is constantly being attacked, and you say, well, maybe they're doing something to bring this upon themselves. And I think that is the position that we find ourselves in uh, most often. And and it's kind of and, and that idea really is supported when we think about how um, how folks of color, black, brown, you know, are portrayed in the media. When they are, they've been arrested. They've had any type of run-in with police. Uh, there's always, mm -hmm. a, if they have any type of a history of of running with the mm -hmm. law, they immediately go to uh, that history, and that's how they represent them. So, mm -hmm. yeah, I think that that's a huge part of this idea of not getting a break because people don't understand, and they've laid the blame of that condition on those you know, who are, who are victims? Well, you know, I once had a conversation with a colleague of mine at the college, a white, a white man. Mm -hmm. And he uh, erroneously said to me, it can't always be about race. Mm -hmm. And I pointed to him, I pointed out to him why it is. And, and I, I said to him, I said, for you, it may not be about race because you've been allowed to be, privileged 
a part to be a part of the privileged tone that gets to ignore it. But every single day, people along a spectrum of colors, and especially dark-skinned people, black people, mm-hmm. are fed, uh, are, are consistently confronted with the messaging that their race uh, is a problem and that they are somehow less deserving of sympathy, empathy, and humanization because of it. So you get to wake up and go to bed not thinking about your race. Unfortunately, the society that we live in, I don't get that privilege. I have to wake up and go and go to bed not knowing what I'm going to encounter in a day where at some level, whether it's very explicit, some guy yelling and pumping his fists at me, or very microaggressive, a, a, a slight that, oh, you speak so well, um, hmm. or uh, hmm. something like that was just like, you know, you I'm going to pinpoint your race, and I'm going to focus on your race for that very reason. So we have to deal with that every single day. Now, depending on your skin tone as a person of color, it you may get a little bit more of a break than other people may get. You know, uh, light-skinned blacks have very much have tone privilege, mm-hmm. you know, and there's, you know, honest, I'm going to be honest about it and again more DMs, but, you know, even in African-American society and in black society, there's always these exercises to not just be that regular black African-American. Oh, well, my grandmother was Cherokee. Oh, well, I, uh, you know, my great-great-grandfather was from Cuba or something along those lines. So I'm actually not just that regular black African-American, even though they use our social capital all the time, mm-hmm. but uh, I'm also this and I'm also that, okay? Because the society is set up so that there are a lot of problems with being an, a, a, a dark-skinned African-American. You get hit with a ton of stuff every single day of your life from the time that you can cognate it. Mm-hmm. And when you resist it, because people have been taught to dehumanize you at such a, 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 a level that when you resist it, you don't get the sympathy and empathy or anything like that. You're seen as combative, angry, uh, uh, subversive, uh, unpatriotic, and all types of things. I mean, look at Colin Kaepernick. All he was all he was, was a black man in America saying, listen, can you please stop killing us? I'm going to put my knee down here just to show you that I just want you to stop killing us. Mm-hmm. And look at what he got, okay? So it's always a constant thing. You never get a break. Now, you add to that now. Uh, uh, a groundswell of anti-Muslim sentiment and rhetoric, okay, now you put that on the black body. We are a very misogynistic culture as well, okay? Mm -hmm. There's a lot of, for lack of a better term right now, patriarchy. I'm still exploring that, that word for myself as a Muslim woman. There's a lot of patriarchy, so now you put that on, okay? So it's just like, as unimaginable as it is, the society is structured so that you don't get a break. And the reason why you can't get a break, because if you do get a break and you do have an opportunity to feel your humanity, you'll expect other people to do it, too. And for other people to do it, too, they have to see you as human to begin with. And you'd be surprised. People, not you would be, but people would be surprised at what levels they dehumanize black people in this society. 
Well, you know, to to that point, uh, the struggle, uh, I think, has been there. There are a few sides to this. And one is the the resistance that comes against white supremacist um, uh, structures and then the critique of that resistance. Um, Mm -hmm. So so often the ways in which people try to assert their humanity and their rejection of an ideology that places one at the top and one at the bottom, uh, that that becomes uh, an issue for some. So instead of actually dealing with the the system itself and its uh, flaws and its uh, inequity, uh, it, it, it becomes a conversation about, well, you shouldn't you, you can't mm-hmm. you can't look at yourself and try to find the value in yourself um, and appreciate that or take take any type of pride in that, because mm-hmm. that means that you are actually doing the same thing that uh, that's being done uh, under the guise of white supremacy. And even though that is a flawed argument, because it takes uh, you, you must have power, you must have the ability to mm-hmm. affect, you know, the, 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 the public space, you know, how that's ordered. Uh, in order for that to be, you know, uh, to, for those two to equate, and the other being, uh, the other being as far as humanity is concerned, in that assertion of humanity, you mentioned earlier that sometimes Muslims, I'm, I think I'm paraphrasing, uh, sometimes Muslims are complicit in their yeah. own uh, in their own subjugation, or I- at least in the assumption that they are docile, uh, but particularly mm-hmm. when it comes to our um, what would be categorized as immigrant brothers and sisters, and I, I, I like to always when I when I have that conversation, making these types of statements to remind folks that you know we got folks that have been here you know three or four generations. Um, that yeah. but when people look at them, they say it's automatically it's oh this is an immigrant, this is somebody who just got here, and you know nothing could be further from the truth. But the response that mm-hmm. is typically uh, associated with acts of uh, violence or, or any type of bigotry uh, in the public space towards Muslims is is you don't really ever hear about uh, you know meeting you know meeting fire with fire so to speak and it, it might be mm-hmm. crude to say it that way but it's usually a, a turn the other cheek um, yeah yeah you know I'm gonna just keep it moving so well, yeah so folks are emboldened yeah well you know. Unfortunately, there are a lot of uh, schisms in American Muslim cultures. I think you had Dilshad Ali on uh, a couple of days ago, and she pointed it out very, very clearly. You know, we're, we're, we're these different subcultures. We're all these different subcultures, but under one umbrella of having uh, adhering to the same faith structure. Mm-hmm. And in the society, in, in, in a white supremacist society, you know, one of the things that you have has to happen is that you have to reduce the subjugated. And so it is the dominant culture is very, very adept at reducing minorities into a few things. That's why it only takes a few sound bites for our current president. It only took him a few sound bites when it came to to uh, minorities like Mexicans, only a few words. Those words stick because that's the way it works. So all you have to do is say a few things about this minority, and then the uh, dominant culture will start to absorb that. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. And so when it comes to Muslims, okay, one of the things that one of the many things is is, is foreignness, okay. And despite and it, and it wasn't always that way, okay. So Don Austin uh, mentioned it once that you know it used to be when you heard the word Muslim, you would think black Muslims, but right. it shifted. So now where we are uh, presently is this phenotype, and so it's Middle Eastern, South Asian, uh, and uh, uh, almost always docile. Uh, the women who do cover and are obviously Muslim are fetishized. So they have they are encouraged to be performative, where it's just like oh well you know you got to bust stereotypes. First of all, it's never the subjugated's job to bust stereotypes because they're not the ones that have them. Hmm. They're not the ones that are embracing them. It's the, the 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 people from the dominant culture that embrace them. So the person that is actually embracing the stereotype has to dissolve it within themselves. It's not anyone's job to break a stereotype for someone else. But there's this idea now among Muslim women who cover is that you have to be this hijabi that busts stereotypes. And it could be something as trite as riding a skateboard. Okay? Why can't you just be someone riding a skateboard? No, because the society has to fetishize and politicize that a certain way. Okay? And the unfortunate thing is that Muslims, some of which have the very best intentions, okay, actually feed into the structure and uh, placate it, okay? So, uh, I mean, you have to have resistance. You have to have prejudice reduction. Unfortunately, one of the things that seems to be occurring is that the focus is on prejudice reduction in a form where it's like we have to get them to like us, okay? They don't. Mm -hmm. They don't. Individuals may... You may have people that are on the fence that you can kind of convince, but when you're talking about the system itself, it does not like you. And so there has to be some resistance to that. And so we have not come to accord with each other, okay, as Muslims, as American Muslims, to to uh, outline some approaches that we can take cohesively in order to both engage in resistance and prejudice reduction. So the thing that's always highlighted is the prejudice reduction. So the masjid tees and, uh, uh, oh, look, you know, these, these nice women have decided to wear a hijab for the day, you know. Mm. Those types of endeavors are really just feel-good endeavors because they do nothing to dismantle the structure itself. And so we need to folk as Muslims start to focus on this structure, how we can dismantle it, and then also look at people who may be in, from within the structure individually and, or in small groups and how we may be able to uh, uh, reduce prejudice that way. You can't do one or the other, okay, because prejudice reduction in and of itself does not break down the structure, and uh, resistance of itself does not uh, the, it limits the opportunity to form lines of uh, and connections. So you have to do both of them. And so when you think that, you know, it's just a matter of, well, all I have to do is wear a scarf, okay? Mm-hmm. It's not a hijab. It doesn't have any religious significance to someone that is not Muslim. For many Muslim women, it's an active form of worship. So to decide to wear a scarf 
you know, that's not going to that doesn't address this very structure that caused that that feeds mindsets that result in the violence of ripping off a woman's hijab or being ready to blow a, a woman's head off because she has a hijab on. But you that know doesn't what? Work that way. You know what? And, and I agree. Um, but within the the, the context or the, the framework of how our um, how our uh, political system works, how laws are actually mm-hmm. uh, formulated and introduced and passed, uh, it it begins it begins with in, in the court of public opinion. And mm-hmm. unfortunately, I think what happens is we generally will tend to stay in the court of public opinion or trying to do the work there. Mm-hmm. And uh, and it does not translate into uh, in, in, into having any impact on us being a nation of law and order. Right? We hear law and order all the time. And that has so many different so many different uh, meanings that, you know, that is that mm-hmm. is code for so many and different things. And there are things. plenty of people and there's so many people who end up dead even though they're abiding by law and order. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So, I mean, when we have we have the, the spirit of the law and then we uh, and the letter of the law and how the law is actually enforced. Right. And there's a disconnect quite often or not so much a disconnect, mm-hmm. but it is um, how that enforcement is, is done. It's applied in ways which. Uh, perpetuate, you know, inequality and inequity and and oppression. But mm-hmm. when it mm-hmm. comes to the Muslim community, when it comes to the Muslim community, what I see is uh, there's a, a holding on or a satisfaction with with acts that don't go beyond the court of public opinion or or those things which may you know they they make us feel good, they they look good. Um, and I'll say this as far as the hijab is concerned, because it has been weaponized against Muslims. Um, any mm-hmm. any expressions mm-hmm. of of being outwardly Muslim, <clears throat> outwardly Muslim, and then on top of that, appearing to be foreign, your appearance mm-hmm. itself has been weaponized against you. Um, so I can appreciate, I can appreciate to a um, you know a, a gesture, a gesture like Prime Minister uh, Jacinda Ardern having mm-hmm. on a hijab. Right. Because mm-hmm. I know that 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 resonates with it's going to resonate with with some right to take away mm-hmm. some of that. But it, it certainly doesn't. Uh, it's not enough by itself to say that mm-hmm. because I did this in public that we don't have to go to the next uh, the next milestone, which is to uh, enact laws. you right to have policy and yeah. then enforcement. That that allows for the safety and security of uh, the, of, of Muslims wherever they are, you know, in the society. Well, you know, um, there are a couple of things mm-hmm. with when it comes to the prime minister in particular, mm-hmm. and that is, I, 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 it there are interpretations by uh, an expanse, uh, diverse mindset of Muslims globally. Mm-hmm. And then there is the there are the optics that are promoted uh, in media in, in non-Muslim dominated media platforms. Okay, those are the two things I have an issue with. Uh, it's not so much that the prime minister d- decided, out of social respect, mm-hmm. to don the headscarf. Plenty of uh, politicians do it and uh, attend this funeral. Okay, right. it's that. Uh, among the mindsets of Muslims, it's seen as a 
an indication that we are turning a corner when it comes to uh, the hate about us. Right. Nothing could be further from the truth. Mm-hmm. Okay. And when it comes to the uh, mass media, what they have done with her image, okay, and, you know, I'm a literary critic and I have a lot of training in visual material culture. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, images are, 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 are text. They have signs. And they are just uh, signifying messages to people. And, they, and, of course, it's always different to different people. Even in, in a culture, in a subculture, it could be different. But when they've disseminated her picture with her, with the draped over her, kind of looking like a Madonna, it feeds into this white femininity savior complex where the humanity of covering is only given to this white woman. Okay. So it, it, it may resonate. You can't, you know, we're, 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 there's so many people with so many different mindsets. Mm-hmm. It may resonate with some people. You're absolutely right. But I, I think that it's very important to at least keep in mind that for many people, that woman's whiteness, Mm-hmm. Okay, and the fact that she's not Muslim, it insulates her. Very, it, yeah, it insulates her, and it it gives them the ability to differentiate her from any any Muslim woman who's actually covered and walking the street. She doesn't make she didn't make anybody safer, even though the media would like to portray her as that. She's not saving anybody, even though the media would like to portray her as that. And so, I think it's important for Muslims to to really not be so satisfied with optics of apparent acceptance mm-hmm. and uh, this idea of hope that somehow the structure is going to shift and change and they're going to like us. I think, at least in an American context, a lot of that comes from proximity to whiteness that a lot of uh, uh, non-black Muslims have. Mm-hmm. And even some black Muslims, let's be honest, you know, when you get when you get close to privilege and when privilege starts to insulate uh, black people, there are plenty of black people who cut up and act up and start uh, being aggressive against their own people. Mm-hmm. It has to be that way or else the system won't work. So uh, we have to stop being satisfied with those little tiny trinkets. And we stop. We have to stop looking at uh, uh, non-Muslims. Mm-hmm kind of gleaning our culture as a form of acceptance. We have to have confidence in who we are as Muslims. And I think that's a scary endeavor because when you look at Islam, when you uh, 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 live your life as close to the accordance of Islamic teachings as possible, it is a strange thing. And that's what the Prophet Islam said. So Islam began as something strange, it's going to end as something strange, okay? And so victory to the strangers. So it's going to be a strange thing, okay? Mm-hmm. And so I think one of the things that we do that we should try not to do is try to fit Islam into the sensibilities that people that ultimately would not like it. There's going to be a lot about it that well, they're not be, going to like. What could be stranger uh, in a society where your complexion, your ethnicity, uh, mm-hmm. your proximity to, uh, to whiteness is seen as a, uh, well, not just seen, but gives you privilege. What could be strange, stranger 
than an actual egalitarian society where your value is is really is 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 tied directly to your contribution to society as a whole uh to your to your righteousness what could be stranger than that so but that's not an egalitarian society uh well no no well to be to be valued because you said you said your values according to your contributions what about people who can't contribute much no 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 well okay let me let me yeah. expound let me expound <laughs> so you know in in the prophet's last um last sermon oh, right oh. when uh, yes, mm-hmm. last when he speaks about uh there about the the, the arab not have being better mm-hmm. than a non-arab and a white or a black you know all that that, that that whole argument there and and he ends with there's no no difference there's no 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 uh there's no superiority but in mm-hmm. your your piety but in your yeah. your righteousness right and yep. so so there is a sense that there is an external there are two things there is an external manifestation of that and how it impacts those around you but then it's also only what uh our creator only what Allah uh can attest mm-hmm. to from ourselves yep. Right. So. Yeah. So. So in that it's it's and then, OK, I add on. Uh, and then there's a hadith from the uh, prophet, peace and praise be upon him, uh, where he says that uh, the best of you is the is the one who is the most useful. Right. I'm paraphrasing the one who is the most useful. So in that with that type of thinking where there is an internal consideration and there is the impact on uh, society uh, at large. And then this kind of a, a recommendation of prodding for us to use our abilities for the betterment of society and for that uh-huh. to, to allow that to be the, uh, the, the platform that we stand upon or the lens through which we look at one another. Right. And not for the purposes uh-huh. of putting anybody down, but, you know, you know, if you're going to have a value system, a ranking mm-hmm. system, that let it be one that is it's the complete opposite of what we have now, because now you can have you can have value just based off of your skin color or mm-hmm. be degraded. Right. So. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So that that that's kind of my my, my argument or my thinking about the, the 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 contrast as far as strangeness is concerned. Well, you know, the thing is, is that the very at the very crux of what it is, you know, from the guidance of, of our of Allah and his messenger, mm-hmm. is problematic for people outside of our faith structure. Because in both instances you mentioned what? Taqwa, mm-hmm. fear of Allah. That's the thing that is the most valued by our creator and that our Prophet Islam encouraged us to see as the most valuable thing. Now of course that, you know, I don't want to get into any kind of uh, arguments about uh, obvious piety or anything like that. Sure. That's a whole other thing. But uh, it it sets us up uh, in a way where we're automatically going to have a problem because our society is a very binary thinking society, and it also – uh, places values on different things. So skin tone may place skin tone being at the at the very core, the very center, because the white supremacist structure. So it's definitely skin tone. Sooner or later, money kind of trumps that yeah. a little bit, pun fully intended. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> uh, things like gender may trump it, you know. 
pun intended again. Mm -hmm. So there's all these ways of placing value on different things. Uh, as uh, believers who want to adhere to the to the guidance of Allah and His Messenger, our ultimate value is placed on uh, how a person fears Allah. And there's there's different ways. Okay, there's the ibadat, there's the worship, there's mm -hmm. the muamalat. It's the way that we interact with each other. Mm -hmm. So our contributions to society may be, a person's contributions obvious contributions to society may be limited my husband works with the developmentally disabled mm -hmm. so in an egalitarian society that is premised on contribution they don't contribute much but they're valuable absolutely they're valuable and in an islamic context they're seen as valuable they're seen as uh you know they're going to get into paradise before we do mm -hmm. and so you know they're they you know the way that we treat them becomes a means for us to gain Allah's pleasure okay so they're valuable into individuals to the society even though they may not quote unquote contribute much but in the Islamic context they're very valuable so as Muslims we uh ultimately have got to become more confident in our faith structure and less focused on getting the approval and acceptance of people that are not going to give it to us based on that faith structure. Mm. You can sugarcoat your Muslimness as much as you want, but ultimately you will have to uh, probably end up making uh, uh, concessions to your faith because there's something distasteful about it from from members of the dominant culture. So it, it could be the way that you dress. It could be the food that you eat. It could be the fact that, you know, uh, as a Muslim woman, you decide to uh, give to, to to give to trust your husband with certain leadership uh, uh, priorities. Uh, you may accept polygyny, mm -hmm. and so it's like those things are all strange in the structure of the society. So, do you make concessions to it, or do you stand and say, "No, listen, this is the way that it is"? Now, this is the problem with when we have um, these surface level, and I don't mean to be disrespectful, I just can't find the right term right now, mm -hmm. but it's like this, these surface level, I don't want to use facetious because that's very insulting. So surface level uh, endeavors, mm. okay, wearing a safety pin, uh, 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 wearing a headscarf, um, and things like that, they say that, listen, I know that you're a Muslim woman, okay, but people don't like you, all right, and they've dehumanized you. So I'm, gonna, I'm going to put this on, even though I have my full humanity, and somehow that's supposed to help you. When it doesn't, it doesn't. And I think that if anyone has the argument that it makes you feel like you're a part of a society, mm -hmm. then that needs to be further unpacked and reflected upon. Because if you only feel like a member of this society based on the acceptance and the performance of people outside of your culture, how much are you really embracing and how much confidence do you have in your culture? Everyone has to answer that for themselves. Well, you know what? That goes back to, uh, and that, that's, a, that's a wonderful point, but I think that really fits into 
the the just the the social um, uh, just where we are as a society today and the impact of technology, uh, mass communication, you know, mass media um, campaigns, uh, social media campaigns, and hashtags, and how we have taken uh, quite often what we see, you know, on Facebook, on Twitter on you know uh, whatever other platform what we see on the news we take these things as to be reality so and uh-huh. then with the, the with the i mean the just tremendously sped up news cycle that we have where you know uh, where two hours something that happens two hours ago uh, could be looked at as something that happened a week ago because there's so much information that is being thrown at us so when we get to see somebody who's standing up and they may be well-intended Right. And we, we, this is not even addressing the uh, the, mm-hmm. the, the, the privilege uh, and, and, you know, that's that's shrouded, uh, that their, their their representation is shrouded in. Um, but they may be well intended. But the fact that it does not it often does not move beyond that particular moment or it simply mm-hmm. it simply lies in the, uh, you know, as a spectacle for people to consume. Um, but yeah. never reaches the point of having any real effect on uh, on policy, on law, on, on law enforcement, uh, on, on just on, on the public space, on the shared space that we have. Uh, because it doesn't get to that point, these, you know, it's like just kind of uh, they, they, we become really we become I don't want to say we become jaded, but we become really suspicious uh, to you know, uh, I think some of us we become uh, suspicious because we don't see a a transference of that public action uh, to actually move towards a yeah. a policy um, position. And I think to to your point earlier, I think that's what this that's where the you know we can't fail as a community. Uh, whether we're talking about. Uh, yeah. The African-American community, we're talking about uh, immigrant communities, Muslim communities, whatever, any marginalized community. These displays of public solidarity, if mm-hmm. they simply stay there just as a as a post on Instagram, as they, they stay there as a Facebook mm-hmm. post or Twitter post and they don't go beyond that, then they really yeah. are ineffectual and they start to lose their um, they lose their impact. But I think more importantly, mm-hmm. I think we should be asking that question. Um, you know, when does it transfer? How do we transfer that into actual action? Because you're not going to change people. You're not, you're not going to well, make people like you. You're not going to make no, people like you're you. you're not. <laughs> but, but we, you know, when I, I, I try to, uh, you know, I, I'm, 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 I'm an African-American, so I have to draw from my, my, my history and my culture a lot. And it's something that I honor. You know, I, I, I want to take us back a little bit to the civil rights movements of the 1960s. Yeah. And uh, a little bit of Malcolm and Martin. <laughs> okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and even even further back, um, uh, Booker T. Washington, W.E.B. Du Bois. Uh, you know, there has always been within African-American culture, uh, resistance culture, mm-hmm. or even community building culture or, you know, Different points of view, okay, and that have kind of a little bit bit odds at each other, but they but they ultimately did push the needle forward, did push the needle forward, okay. So during the civil rights movement, you know, we had uh, like the March on Washington, 
you know, and it was very multicultural and everything like that. And it was wonderful speeches and stuff. By the way, Martin Luther King was a lot more radical than that. I have a dream speech. People don't realize That's it. right. <laughs> Poor people's campaign. Exactly. So you had that. And, and that, you know, Malcolm heavily criticized it. And I tend to be on Malcolm's side when it comes to it, especially says that I have a dream speech has been used to mitigate uh, uh, white rage and anger and also to minimize the very things that a lot of uh, a lot of things that Martin Luther King stood for. Mm-hmm. But he was critical. You know, so you had whites there. OK. And uh, Malcolm made the famous, you know, the uh, the cream in the coffee mm-hmm. uh, analogy. But at the same time, when was, when was the, the March on Washington? 1963? 1963. But you also, in 1965, there was the summer of 65 where a lot of white students went down to the South to encourage blacks to vote. And uh, so when they did that, Okay, there, there's something significant that happened in both of these instances. Okay, well, first of all, there was a lot of problems with that, with, with whites going down there. They felt they had a lot of savior complex right. going on with those students and stuff like that. And a lot of, of the black activists, I believe SNCC was involved at that time. I have to go back fact check. So, uh, you know, that was one thing. But with these two uh, uh, events that happened, you actually, you know, in, on the March on Washington, whites were safe, okay? They were safe. They were insulated. They were white in Washington, D.C. And with the summer of 65, a lot of those students were in danger. You know, they were whites going down to encourage blacks to do something that the whites in that area did not want blacks to do. Right. And so the racism and the rage turned in, turned on them. And it will turn on anybody. You know, I mean, we're talking about a power structure here, and it will even turn on those people that uh, benefit from it, okay? But the, the uh, substantial thing is that they went out and they, they uh, engaged in trying to make a difference that way. It's one thing to... to uh, and I'm going to go back to the headscarf because that's the most obvious thing right now. Mm-hmm. It's on a headscarf. That's that's that may be nice and it may be encouraging for some people in some ways, okay. But don't limit it to that. Go back into your 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 cultures, your societies, your homes, your businesses, your educational institutions, and start to make inroads there about the what is rhetoric, anti-Muslim rhetoric that, that, that's encouraged and fostered in those, in the system itself. So don't just think that doing it for one day and then taking it off, that's it, because those Muslim women are still in danger. Don't think because you go to a mosque and you sip and you have tea that that's it, because that house of worship is still in danger. And it's in danger because of the very society that you traverse through and privilege from. And so that's what true ally, that's part of true allyship. It's first of all, I don't see the purpose in the head soft because my thing is if you want to talk about being an ally in uh, uh, helping me to dismantle my oppression, let's come together as peers. That's not something that you wear. You don't have to wear it. 
just respect the fact that I do, and let's keep moving, okay? And then go into your into your spheres and start to make inroads that way. That's the way to start to affect systems change. And I strongly encourage Muslims, my people, mm-hmm. to stop settling for less than that. Mm. That's that's what the big issue I have because the blacks didn't. Blacks did it, and they continue not to. And even when you think about it, when you think about the think about the way that the society is today, and the way that it was in 1963, the move the needle did not move that much. Black lives are still in danger; they're still devalued. Okay, you you can still call the police and end up being the one arrested. Right. Okay, because the the, the cop doesn't like the you spoke with your black body but we see time and again that white bodies are allowed to yell and scream at police and hold guns to them and they're 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 uh they're not nearly as in peril as a black body just being upset or or just talking or just walking or just breathing so even then the, the needle has not moved so much so i'm just strongly encouraging muslims not to see these uh uh actions as a as a, a proof or demonstration that we're doing systems change. Let's start to look at the systems change as well. Let's start, let's start to look at the the active anti-Muslim, tearing down an anti-Muslim sentiment. Let's look at actively being anti-racist. Let's look at calling our people who want to ally with us, telling them specifically what we need, which is not to sit down with us and have tea exclusively, which is not to, to cover for a day, but to do A, B, C, D. Let's start to uh, uh, be more vocal about the needs that we have. Yeah, because we're getting into... down the system and dangerous. Yeah, we're getting into systems and structural uh, change. And that yes. that is where the real... Uh, work lies, and that is exactly what, uh, to Dr. King's credit, um, you know, mm-hmm. part of his un, uh, unfinished, you know, mission, uh, that Poor People's Campaign that we mentioned, that that march on Washington, which was supposed to uh, uh, really culminate in some some actual uh, some legislation, right? And and of course, I'm bringing this up now uh, because we don't even have the time to really go into the whole ADOS. Uh, you know, American descendants of slavery oh, conversation. Oh, I don't want to get to ADOS right now. <laughs> <laughs> but, but just Black in terms... Black definitely need to address that, though. We definitely need to address yeah. that. We need to have conversations about that. That's very important. Yeah, but but I mean, but but I think it goes back to going beyond the march, going beyond the uh, the mm-hmm. protest, and having that result in, uh, in change that's going to alter the way the system... Um, or the way that we interact with the system uh, to take some of mm-hmm. that that weight off. Uh, but once again, if people see change as they often have, uh, they see any type of change as being uh, a diminishment of of what they yeah. currently have, so that you can have something, then they are going mm-hmm. to be they're going to be against it. So they're going to resist it. Yeah. So and I think just real quickly, mm-hmm. the, the one of the one of one very very sustained. And I know I've I've had a lot of asks in this episode, but I think something that's very, very important and significant, in addition to actually uh, uh, stating what we need from our our allies, not being satisfied with just these these token uh, uh, events, is to not jump 
on the cases of of Muslims who don't necessarily who who are actively involved in in in, in destructuring these systems and breaking down these systems, not to be a part of the problem because a lot of a lot of Muslims who are actively uh, engaged in resistance against Islamophobia, anti-Muslim bigotry and hate and white supremacy and anti-racism, a lot of times they get jumped on by Muslims. It's like, no, leave them alone. Let them do the work that they need to do. If you don't want to support their work, then don't support their work. But don't be a part of the problem because they already have all these white supremacists, uh, bigots, and uh, uh, orientalists uh, getting jumping on them. They don't need people from within their own communities doing it also only because they feel uncomfortable with the work that they do. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Now, I'm really surprised that we did this um, – all without a break. <laughs> we went straight through with no break. But um, so going to get cut. <laughs> no, 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 no. We, we're just going straight through. But I do want to mention this. I mean, we're here in the United States uh, and we have to deal with the legislators uh, that we have. We've got to deal with the president that we have. But I must say that uh, that I am extremely uh, impressed, not mm-hmm. by just a, a donning of the hijab uh, by mm-hmm. uh, Prime Minister uh, Arden. But I am I am impressed because of two things. Number one, to introduce the the conversation, to say that we're going to ban semiotic uh, those weapons that were used in this horrific attack. And then second, Mm -hmm. to call for a conversation, a global conversation on racism, uh, bigotry and hatred. These are things. Right. Because one is responding to the symptom of of, of that hate. Right. Um, But the other is to let's get into the weeds and see how do we deconstruct what has been, you know, well, we could say yeah. millennia. She could have definitely, she could have definitely left it at that one uh, symbolic uh, gesture of calling. I mean, it, nothing's happened yet, right. but, you know, hopefully it will, mm-hmm. but she could have left it at that, you yeah. know, because the way that the, the media has framed her as like this white savior, you know, she has all the optics as a politician. She's straight. She's got it set. She didn't, she doesn't have to, she doesn't have to go an extra mile and say, let's have these conversations. I think she's going to have a rude awakening when she, if if she ever gets into those kinds of conversations, Mm -hmm. but yeah, she definitely did. And, you know, I think it's also part of it is that like, look at what we have to deal with nowadays. So, you know, like any little thing is an important thing nowadays because our own, our president yeah. has set the bar so low. Oh, extremely low. That, uh, you know, anything. It's like, it's at underground. this point, it's like anything. It's like anything. So what normally would have been seen as the head of a state doing her job, mm-hmm. you know, is seen as something more significant because... Look at look at look at the comparison. Look, so at, look at the things we're gonna that are happening. To, all we're going to have to pick this. We're going to have to pick this up um, uh, uh, later because we are just about out of time. You got it. So so thank you so and much as always. Just rolled up. Yes yes. So Radio Islam <laughs> family, we thank you all for joining us for another uh, edition of Radio Islam. We thank our engineers over at WCEV. I'm your host and producer Tariq Alamine. Our executive producer is Abdul Malik Mujahid, and we remind you that the views expressed by the host and our guests are theirs and not to be taken as a representation of Sound Vision Foundation. And with that, we leave you as we greeted you. Assalamu alaikum. May the peace that only God can give be upon you.
Thank you.